Hi, welcome to episode 479 of the Fantastic Forecast. I'm Dave Elliott. And in a podcasting first, the first ever silent podcast. Okay, I don't think that's going to work. Today is Fantastic Four, Volume 3, Number 50, a.k.a. Fantastic Four, 479, from February 2002. Anniversary. Plot by Carlos Pacheco and Rafael Marin. Pencils by Tom Tom Grummet. Script by no one. And this issue is part of a month-long Marvel Nuff Said event, where every comic published was published without words. No captions, no word balloons. Just some sound effects and art being used to tell the story. And of course, we get another guest artist. I wonder if Carlos Pacheco was worried about the added pressure of having to tell the entire story with his art. I think he could do it. So anyway, we're not going to find out. Because this issue has a guest artist, I wonder if the lack of words will make the podcast go by any faster, or slower, or about the same. We're going to find out. The story begins at the Baxter Building, where Franklin is having breakfast. Reed is working on something, some kind of huge, complicated kitchen gadget, and Johnny enters the room, wearing his red FF uniform from the 1970s for some reason. He heats up some coffee by hand, but Ben comes in and he takes the pot away from Johnny. He goes to eat a whole plate of pancakes, but the plate flies away, and one large pancake lands before Ben. This is the result of Sue using her powers to take the pancakes away from him. He turns back into his human self, and he eats the one pancake. I guess, as the thing, he would eat all of them. Reed finishes with a kitchen gadget, and some brown lump of something comes out of it, and he starts eating it. So Sue, who is pregnant, heads out to meet up with the She-Hulk, who takes her to a medical office, an abortion clinic, hopefully. But no, out comes Dr. Gina Halpert. The sign says she's an OBGYN. So they lay Sue out on a table and they run some tests. Everyone looks nervous as the machine goes, tack, 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 tack. Is that like a Geiger counter? Is there like too much radiation? Too much radiation in the baby? Maybe she shouldn't go through with the pregnancy. Meanwhile, Johnny is visiting the offices of a movie studio where they've made a movie with Johnny called Blazing Star. They're having a party on the roof. Johnny shows up with his girlfriend, named Marita, but some other chick with brown hair rushes in and gives Johnny a big kiss. And it looks like he burns her lips and she runs away in pain. Johnny goes off alone with named Marita, and the drink he's holding starts to evaporate from the heat in his hand. And the glass shatters. And then there's that same noise that goes tack, 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 tack. I guess it's not a Geiger counter. I don't know what it is yet. And he turns and he notices a report on the television saying that it's the anniversary of the Fantastic Four. Meanwhile, Ben Grimm, as the thing, is cruising, I mean, strolling through Central Park. And he sees some guys playing chess. And he starts hearing that same tack, tack, tack noise. And he has a flashback to his early days as a, as the thing on the streets of New York. And he's that orange, lumpy rock monster, and he gets attacked by people who throw bottles and bricks at him. And he runs away, and he makes a hole in the street, and he disappears down into the sewer. And then Sue is having some kind of flashback, where she's in a room, doing her makeup, 
and she turns invisible and freaks out, dropping her makeup pencil. And a creepy hipster dude enters the room, and he sees Sue standing there with her body invisible, but her clothes are visible. But then she turns visible, and they're both like, what? And I'm like, what? I don't understand these flashbacks at all. Next, a very young-looking Johnny is in a bathroom looking at himself in a mirror, and he starts flaming on, but accidentally catches the bathroom on fire. Back with Sue, she's about to appear before a photographer for some racy photographs. Was she like a nude model before she got her powers? I don't know when these flashbacks are supposed to be taking place. But she suddenly freaks out, she attacks the photographer, puts on a robe, and storms away. Back with Johnny, the bathroom is on fire, and that tack, tack, tack noise begins again. He kicks down the door, and he ends up climbing out a window, and later, the firemen come and they're putting out the fire. And back in the sewers, Ben encounters a group of people living underground. Morlocks, maybe, or hobos. He climbs up out of the ground and breaks a shop window and steals a trench coat and a hat to disguise himself, and he heads off down Yancey Street. Why does this guy always hang out on Yancey Street, by the way? Ugh, he's just like a glutton for punishment. And that tick and that tack, tack, tack noise continues as the flashbacks take up, take us to the spaceship from issue one, where the four of them are getting bombarded with cosmic rays and the ship hurtles back toward Earth and crash lands. Sue gets out, turns invisible, Ben turns into a rock monster, Reed stretches, Johnny flames on, the four of them put their hands together as they pledge to use their powers to, uh, either help mankind or bring down New York City property values. I can't remember what they said. This issue has no words to remind me. And finally, back in the present, the movie studio is unveiling a movie poster for Blazing Stars starring Johnny Storm as the Rawhide Kid. One thing's for sure, you can bet Ben Grimm will be the first one in line for that movie. And speaking of Ben Grimm, he's in Central Park watching two guys play chess. And he actually grabs one of the pieces and moves it. Kind of a dick move. But what are they going to do? You can't argue with him. First of all, he's a rock monster. He'll clobber you. And second of all, you can't argue with him because, well, you can't argue in a silent issue. Ben turns back into his human form and walks away. Back at the doctor's office, the doctor is having trouble with the sonogram machine, so Sue does the job herself and turns her belly invisible so they can see her baby. And that is this episode's panel of the issue, which you can check out on my blog at www.podcastff.blogspot.com. For a baby in a woman's stomach, she's remarkably clean and slime-free. Later... Sue, Johnny, and Ben show up at Reed's lab, and Sue shows him the day's newspaper, saying that it's the anniversary of the Fantastic Four getting their powers, a day Reed seems to have forgotten. And that tack-tack-tack noise seems to continue. And for the next page, the final page of the story, we see a very unhappy Doctor Doom, with a bunch of TVs on in the background, with stories about the FF and their anniversary, and he's tapping his metal fingers on his chair. Tack, 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 tack. That was the tacking noise the entire time. Oh, what a plot twist. And that is the story, and I used the word story very loosely. It's an odd choice of stories to tell for the silent issue. I normally like these kinds of day-in-the-life issues, but this one really needed some dialogue, some conversations. I think if you were going to do a silent issue without words or captions, a big all. A big all-out fight issue would probably work better. 
And the device of the tapping finger and the tack-tack-tack going throughout the issue really didn't work for me. It was confusing. I would call this issue a bit of a miss. And I guess since people would be pissed off at having a silent issue, they decided to include more pages and more backup stories. So that takes us to So Shall It Be by Jeff Loeb, Carlos Pacheco, and Rafael Marin. Of course, maybe after reading this story, a reader might be more pissed off. It's one of those, uh, not brand X, what the, type comedy stories. And I use the word comedy loosely. It begins at a castle in Spain with a Doctor Doom-looking character looking out a window. But he's not really Doctor Doom. He's just a guy in a Doctor Doom armor. He's not wearing a mask. He's just a dude with brown hair, a big nose, and glasses. A caption says that this is the dining room of Carlos Porkchapo. Ugh. It's like Doctor Doom, but like Carlos Pacheco. I don't know what Pacheco really looks like, so I guess this is him. It's supposed to be him. The Fantastic Four are at the table, eating, and Carlos tells them he needs to know about their latest adventures because he's running up against the dreaded Deadline Doom. Reed suggests writing about their latest battle with the Mole Man. Carlos wants to do something original. Something new! Something fresh! Something I have not stolen from John Byrne, he says. He suggests a battle with Tyrannus and the Red Ghost's Super Apes, who proceed to bust into the castle and attack the FF. Reed says they never fought Tyrannus and the Super Apes together like that, and Carlos says that that's why it's interesting. Ben suggests that he wishes Mark Mular would put him in one of the ultimate books. Oh, Ben, you know not what you ask. Anyway, he starts fighting the apes, and it's slobbering time. Johnny says, flame on, and Reed wonders why. He doesn't have a catchphrase. Carlos sits down and he's drawing as fast as he can. And back at the Marvel Comics offices, which like look like the old FF headquarters only with a big M on the roof, the editor-in-chief complains about the FF book being late and says he might have to get Baron Michael John Paul George Ringo Bendis to write it instead. Carlos brings this huge stack of hundreds of pages for his inker to ink. We all know this is wild fiction because Carlos Pacheco has never drawn that many pages in his, his entire career, let alone in one month. Next, the pages have to be scripted by Jeff Loeb, or Jeffy Globe, and the editors of Marvel say that they have they have him scripted because they only pay him a dollar. Which, that sounds about right. Later, Ben shows up at the Hollywood home of Jeffy Globy with the pages for him to script... And then after more silliness, the pages get lettered and colored and published and end up on a newsstand getting purchased by a couple of nerdy guys named Stan and Jack who think everything they read in the comics is true. And the story ends with Stan say- saying, Excelsior, and Jack saying, Nuff said, and me saying, Please, someone kill me. Ugh. This kind of comedy should be left up to the professionals at Mad Magazine or something. It's... Oh, it's brutal. Brutal. And the issue isn't even done. There's more. Yes, more. There's a story called In the Eye of the Beholder by Fabian Nasiaza and Steve Rude. And it looks like another comedy story from the genius comedic mind of Fabian Nasiaza. And everyone is getting dressed up. Reed, Ben, and Johnny are in tuxedos. But Ben doesn't want to go. He panics. 
and he slips on a banana peel. Hilarious. It turns out they're going to a charity bachelor auction. First up is Tony Stark, who's getting a lot of bids from the ladies. I can understand why Ben is nervous. Being auctioned off? To go on a date? With a woman? He's very nervous. Next, Johnny and Ben head out on stage, and Johnny is auctioned off to some swarthy woman who looks like Madonna, who spends $10,000 on him. Next, women start trying to bid on Ben. Well, not really. It's kind of quiet. But then, $1,000, $5,000, $10,000. are bids from Sue Richards, the She-Hulk, and the Wasp. Obviously trying to make their friend Ben feel better. But then, some mystery woman in a veil bids on Ben, spending $20,000. Later, Johnny heads off with his date in her 66 Corvette. Turns out, not actually her Corvette. She says it belongs to her boss, Ann Calderstock, who doesn't like to make public appearances. Uh-oh. Let's see what kind of crazy woman that Johnny really has to go out on a date with. And back with Ben, he's in a limousine with his mystery woman heading up to the Hamptons. Her name is Barbara, and she has a bad case of psoriasis, hence the need to cover herself from head to toe. So they get to the woman's estate, and she introduces him to her sister, Hillary Vickers. Uh-oh. For a moment, I think Ben thinks he's going to be tag-teamed by two women, which is probably not what he wants to do. But no, instead, they tell him they need some work done on the grounds, some renovations that require a big, strong man. So they didn't really want to go on a date with him after all. They just need him to do work. I mean, for $20,000, they could, like, buy, a, like, a whole crew of people to do the work. It's kind of a waste of money. Ben says he can't do that. He has a date. And he gets back in the car with Barbara, the woman with psoriasis, and he says that he's taking her to Coney Island. Later, Johnny shows up at the penthouse of the woman who paid for his date, and he's led into her room her boudoir, if you will, and she tells him to come in, and he goes in. She seems to have a nice body. Johnny is ready for action, but then she leans into the light, and she says that she needs someone to help her get over her fear of fire because her face was all burnt up in a fire. Oh, and it looks like her face got burnt off in a fire. It's very disturbing. I don't know if this is supposed to be funny or very, very sad. Yeah, it's kind of funny. It's very dark, but funny. Later, Ben and Johnny are back at home, and Sue asks how their dates went, and they tell her they met the most beautiful girls today. The end. Okay, that was a lot better than the last comedy story. Just a crazy ending with a burn-up lady's face. So finally, one more story. Yes, another story. Marvel doesn't publish an FF annual in 2002, so this fits the bill for the this year's giant-sized crappy issue with a bunch of horrible backup stories. So next, it's Anniversary Gift, story and art by Oldon Chief Eric Koo. Who the hell is an old, what the hell is an Uldon Chief? And written by Kin Sui Chong and pencils and inks by Alvin Lee and Omar Dugan. Wait a minute, who the hell drew this story? Alvin Lee or Chief Eric Koo? Well, as you can tell from the names, it's kind of like a very manga-looking story. And here we join Ben and Johnny at the mall, 
where Ben is complaining about how hard it is to buy an anniversary present for Reed and Sue. Okay, it's the FF's anniversary this issue, and Reed and Sue's. Did they get married on the anniversary of gaining their powers? That sounds like something a Reed would do. Ben says that the mall, that malls, make him feel like clobbering something. I never understood people who don't like malls going to malls. If you don't like malls, don't go to one. If only there was a place you could go to shop that wasn't a mall. So anyway, Ben grabs some revealing lingerie and says that Sue would look mighty fine in that number. Johnny smacks him in the head and says, Hey, that's his sister he's talking about. Soon, Johnny and Ben are surrounded by autograph-seeking fans. One young woman shows Johnny that she has a tattoo of his flaming human torch head on one of her boobs over her heart, and she wants him to autograph it. He's very happy to oblige, but Ben grabs him and pulls him away. So they go back to looking around the mall, trying to find something for Reed and Sue, and they see a travel agency. Of course, Reed has his own plane and rocket. A trip somewhere flying commercial would be a pretty lousy gift. But they do see an ad for a cruise, an Alaskan cruise, which is a pretty good idea since Reed doesn't seem to have his own yacht. Hard to believe. But I don't think there is a fantastic boat. So sometime later, Reed and Sue are there with Ben and Johnny on the cruise ship in Alaska looking at the Aurora Borealis. And Reed says that this is caused by the same sort of cosmic radiation that gave them their powers. Which probably isn't true, but it sounds good, and I'm in no mood to Google it. Reed wants to talk about the origin of the Northern Lights some more, but Sue just wants to make out. So they start to kiss, and Ben puts his arm around Johnny and says they should leave them alone. And the way Ben is looking at Johnny, I think the Aurora Borealis put him in a romantic mood too. That's another strange panel I'm putting on my blog at www.podcastff.blogspot.com. And so Reed and Sue continue to kiss, and that is the end of a very, very unremarkable, uh, what is it, triple-sized issue of the Fantastic Four? I thought the Nuff Said issue would be very quick to go through, but this took forever. What a chore. That's it for now. If you have any questions about the Fantastic Four, about this issue, about this podcast, or if you need relationship advice, you can email me at podcastff at gmail.com. You can download other episodes of iTunes and find them all at www.podcastff.podbean.com. So long, kids. This podcast is over. Use every chance you've been given, she replied, after several days. It's no good to be perfect, you know so well. Easy to tell There is one thing I know It goes like this It's that